across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour. I'm Matt Bentman. And I'm Alan Alder. And yes, welcome to Flavour and our celebration of food and drink in and around Cambridge. And what a lot of food there is to celebrate as well, because today we are bringing you a look back at some of the stories that we ran in 2023. We'll have a few changes from our usual programme with just a very brief news section and no jobs roundup and no details of what free food is available from the Olio app today either. Today is mostly our review of the year. Yeah, and really there is no better way to introduce this programme about the joys of eating and drinking in Cambridge than to hear what Cambridge resident and food writer B. Wilson enjoys most. So let's begin there. Here is B talking to Sue Bailey in our programme on the 4th of November. Uh, Sue can't be with us today, but should be back next time. And by the way, our past programmes can be heard again via the Cambridge 105 radio website. I live near Mill Road and I feel so fortunate to live near Mill Road because I could just name entirely places on or around Mill Road to answer your questions. So one of my favourite places on Mill Road, Noodles Plus, the best I've now can't pronounce the name of the dumplings but anyway all of their dumplings are incredible but they have those ones that have a kind of minced pork inside but also soup encased inside you know where, where you yes. kind of bite into it and you've got to eat it very carefully because otherwise it's going to yes be i can't think of the name yes. either <laughs> but i love that place i love their noodles too i think finn boys on mill road for a kind of special fish celebration meal is just absolutely wonderful I think for an incredible celebration vegetarian meal, if you can get a booking, Vandalile. Of course. <laughs> I think he's amazing, in Alex Rushmer, in terms of how he's oh. sort of changed the model of what a restaurant can be. Food shops, also on Mill Road. I love Spicegate, Turkish food shop. Partly during the pandemic, I just started going there when the supermarkets were just, it, it felt so panicky. And I've not been going there for years, but I kind of became especially fond of that shop mm. and the independent food shops on Mill Road at that time. Sol Plaza on Mill Road for kind of delicious, special, mm. gifty ingredients, Culinaris. I think Eclipse Bakery on Mill Road is great. So I'm just naming Mill Road places. Jack's Gelato. I also of have course, to mention yeah. Jack's Gelato, yeah. which is not Mill Road. Yeah. I think it's some of the best ice cream, not just in Cambridge, but in the country. I mean, I've, have you eaten better elderflower sorbet anywhere? No. no. You know, Arjuna, I remember from when I was a student mm. in Cambridge and that's been going for donkey's years, but it's still so good. New places, Scott's Pizzeria, but what is the name? It's Alamin, isn't it? Oh, Alamin, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. And then all of these new places popping up, especially kind of over the bridge. Meadows. And all of these exciting local producers, because Meadows, in common with Vandalal, I think, and in common with Finboys, there's a farm outside Cambridge called Flourish, Flourish isn't there? Yes. Which does mm-hmm. extraordinary vegetables and meadows stock some of those no meadows is great and just coffee shops there's dom's place on mill road which is some of the most delicious coffee i've ever tasted obviously hot numbers i've written many articles sitting in hot numbers i have a very very soft spot for that place lots of different places supporting one another so for example i think that scott's all day on mill road the people who set that up had originally worked at fitzbillies hadn't they under the new ownership of tim and allison so i think there's a kind of there's a sense of various kind of 
different interlocking hubs of food people supporting each other, which is really nice. And the excellence of the eating in Mill Road was picked up by the Observer newspaper's Jay Rayner when he visited Finboys at number two. He's a big man in a small restaurant. And in our interview with Richard Stokes, we asked him what it had been like having Jay Rayner come and review your restaurant. I, I, I saw him walk in as towards the end of lunchtime. There was only two of us here working that morning and did a double take. Um, because you, you don't know in advance. No, don't know in advance and, and obviously booked under a, a pseudonym. So, so um, no, had no idea he was coming in at all. Um, and then a few seconds later, he was sitting right in front of us, yeah. <laughs> so how did you feel? Uh, well, I've, I've never had a food critic come in and sit right in front of me before. Um, whenever he was I, sitting at the bar then? Sitting around the counter, yes, yeah. right in front of us. Um, but... Um, you know, you feel intimidated for a few seconds only, but, you know, I'm, I'm quite old and been around the block quite a lot of times, so you don't get intimidated by people very often, really. So, uh, no, it's fine. It was, it was really engaging, really nice. Right, and your staff were OK with it, where there weren't any panics or drop, well, yeah, my, drop dishes? No, Jean, who was working with us on that day, um, knew he was as well, and um, he panicked a little bit. I said, well, just cook normally, just cook. And he asked me if, he, if I wanted to cook the main courses for him. I said... No, no, you're doing the main courses, you, you'll be fine. Yeah. I did his starters, I was on the starter section that morning. So um, it was business as usual, really. That's a great experience then, isn't it, for yeah. him to have? Yeah, yeah. well, I didn't, want to, you know, I didn't want to take over from, from Jolt to, to doing the cooking because it just sends out the wrong message anyway. So, so no, no Jolt cooked his main courses and I cooked the starters. And how did Jay Rayner choose what to order? He seems to have eaten rather a lot. Yeah, I get he's working, I guess. So he had to try quite a few items. I told him they should have the prawn toast as it's the best in the country. He mentioned it as a bold statement. I said, well, just try it. And uh, all the other customers think it's the, the best in the country, the best <laughs> I've had. So, uh, no, he really loved that. Um, I think there's about three starters, um, two main courses, um, a snack and, and a couple of desserts. And was I mean, and did you know how it was going? Was he making approving noises? Uh, as you know, how do you? Well, any... I did ask him a couple of times, and he said, "Well, if you know how these things work, I'm not allowed to say." But then he said, "Everything tastes absolutely fantastic." So that uh, was so... really nice. Another very favourably reviewed Cambridge restaurant was Fansets, also in Mill Road, and it was reviewed recently in the Sunday Times, whose reviewer Charlotte Ivers seemed surprised to find anywhere worth eating in what she saw as a chain-dominated Cambridge. In fact, there are six Cambridge restaurants listed in the Michelin Guide, Restaurant 22 with Mom Michelin Star, Midsummer House with Two, and MJP of the Shepherds, Fansets, Vanderlyle and Mercado Central, all with recommendations. Yeah, Vanderlyle, a little further along Mill Road from Finboys, they're continually exploring, experimenting and impressing. Its sous-chef, Marcus Clayton, has the immense gratification of winning the sole UK place at the San Pellegrino International Chef Awards in Milan. Just listen to what he was cooking. This from our programme of the 12th of August. And what, what is a signature dish? Uh, so it's a salt-baked celeriac in a celery salt crust. It's baked to about 82 degrees. Uh, it's cut into a fondant. Using the trim, I've made like a little ragu from celeriac apple mushroom that goes on the side in a little celeriac crustard topped with a celeriac foam. Uh, the celeriac itself is glazed up in a ponzu using uh, apple juice, celeriac and celery juice and then using the trim from the juicer, uh, make an ash that's rolled in it 
then you've got some uh, oyster mushrooms, some apple dice, some celeriac dice, an apple puree, and a, a, a mushroom celeriac apple sauce. Wow, it sounds extraordinary. How long will a lot take to put together? So it takes about four hours. <laughs> it's about four hours to get on top of things, and then I've pretty much got to plate immediately, so it's, uh, time is against. But it isn't just the restaurants of Mill Road that get awards. The Taj Tandoori is a curry house on Cherry Hinton Road. It's been there since 1986, and it's run by two brothers, but it was founded by their parents. From our programme on the 22nd of April, I met with one of the brothers, Jalal, who last year won an international award for his cooking. Back in the 70s, Jalal's dad was the first person to bring a tandoori oven to Cambridge. I asked him what the difference is between a normal oven and a tandoori oven. So a tandoori oven is basically like you've got a cement clay on the inside and it, and it gets hardened and it's like a big cube with a hole in the middle and the fire comes from inside and you get like really high temperatures so then you can barbecue the food and you've got charcoal ovens and now you've got some gas fired ones but yeah and then you put everything on skewers and then on the side where the cement clay is that's where you can bake all the naans as well so you've got this oven where it's quite a skill to be able to make these naans because you've got to stick your hand into something that's like you're talking like two, three hundred degrees of temperature where you've got to slap your hand into the side and put the naan in and then take them out and stuff. So, and it also does all the skewers of the barbecue, whether it's your sheet kebabs or your chicken tikka, your tandoori chickens, yeah. Over the last six or seven years, Jalal and his team have liked to experiment with traditional dishes as well as fusion foods, combining tastes of different countries. It's what gives their restaurant their USP. Yeah, it's, it's experimental and it's authentic. So there are some dishes that are just like... My mum gave me the recipe for the railway mutton that we've got, which is on the bone. This is a recipe that is as authentic as it gets for us. This is what I grew up eating with the lamb dish. But then, but then like the pulled chicken tikka burger is like the, something that's... We've got a lamb rogan shepherd's pie. Again, it's something that was a, a bit different, a bit fusion. And then there's the noodles. But then, then there's the butter chicken. There's some regional dishes that we've had in there that that we love and I think we try and get put things on there that we really enjoy ourselves as well like eating and I think if we know we're foodies if you if you could see me you'd, you'd understand what sort of foodie I am but, but like uh, they say never trust a skinny chef so yeah Jalal Sayed won the International Bangladeshi Master Chef Award for a custom designed dish a dish that he put on their regular menu over the summer and he advises anyone who hasn't visited the Taj Tandoori on Cherry Hinton Road to try out their fusion dishes, like popcorn dal or Indian scotch eggs. There's plenty more on the menu, so do check it out at tajtandoorycambridge.co.uk. It's a tribute to these Cambridge restaurants that they maintain such a high level of excellence, especially since it can be so difficult to get chefs. We wondered how they go about finding and choosing new chefs and spoke with Alex Rushmer of Vanderlyle and Jay Scrimshaw and then Richard Stokes of Finboys for our 12th of August programme. Uh, Richard's motorcycle's breakdown chef is from when he ran the Three Horseshoes in Maddingley. There's no point working alongside somebody who is... Who is talented if, if the fit isn't right and especially in a small team when it really really matters and I think it's about it's mostly about attitude it's about meeting the right person at the right time and then trying to work out how the relationship is going to work and I mean the last um, there's, been, there's been some turnover here in the, in the some, some change in the kitchen here over the last six months or so but I've been, as I said, I've been very lucky. But we've we've had people. I've had people approach me 
historically it's been a case of people coming in for what's called a stage which is just a day in the kitchen enjoying what we do liking what we do thinking that it's a good fit and the feeling being mutual and you're not you're not looking for what they can cook you're looking that with the character fit in to the the team that you've got that's basically what you're looking for everything else you can teach so what do you talk to them about to us to find out about their say their about knowledge, their life, where knowledge they of worked, food what sort of food they like to eat you know uh, you know someone who you know doesn't like fish I mean it's not really going to work uh, or someone who doesn't like meat and they're a vegetarian and they're working in a meat orientated you know it's just just general general conversation yeah really right it's just what spark they've got really if they've got a little bit of Humph in them, and you know you can just tell that by talking to them if they if they want to learn and um, get on. We had one one guy who lived in Godmanchester, and after a week working with us, his his um, motorbike broke down, so he caught the bus every day to Bar Hill and walked. So you, you just tell he's the right sort of person you wanted to, to to work for you. Yeah, and the same with Jay. Never really asked anyone to cook anything for us. You ask them obviously their favourite foods and whether obviously you see when they worked before and where they'd like to go if, 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 if they would go into a restaurant the next day, where they'd like to eat. And you just try and teach them your philosophy on food, really. And, and, and you can just tell if they're going to be a sponge and, and, as Jay said, fit in with the team you already have or, or not. But it's not just the food in Cambridge that is worth going out for. There are some really good coffees too, and some unusual ones. Here is Vadim Granovsky from Cambridge Market, and he's the inventor of the flat red. This is from our 17th of June episode. Would you like blue cup or yellow? I'll, I'll have a I'll have a blue cup, I think. Okay. Blue cup it is. So this is double espresso, and then we have a mixture of uh, orange and pomegranate juice, uh, freshly squeezed. We are steaming the juice now. Right, so it's a hot drink. I didn't know whether to expect a hot drink there or a cold there drink. Is, there is a cold version as well. It's sort of a summer menu, but the original is, is warm. Uh-huh. Many people tell me that this drink reminds them mild wine. Well, it's really nice. Thank you. I'm very surprised. Yeah. I just um, didn't think... I never thought of mixing coffee with... With fruit, actually. Actually, I think there is a niche, I mean, the, the potential of, of combining coffee and fruit juice. They, they do it in Asia. I've lived in Indonesia for two years. I had a chance to sort of embrace coffee from the roots. I lived weeks and weeks spent on coffee plantations with farmers. But um, they do mix anything, orange juice, uh, coconut water, uh, passion fruit juice. They all mix with coffee. And surprisingly, it, it, it's pretty good. Another unusual combination is coffee with mushrooms. And we saw packs at Bean Theory in Newnham Road. This is from the 29th of July. Tell me about coffee mushroom. That's coffee with mushroom in it. Yes. Actually, our idea was to support uh, local business. And there is this company, Mushroom Cambridge. And we tried to match the right coffee based on the flavor of the mushroom. And we do this lion's mane with a Colombian coffee, which is very sweet coffee and match perfect with this mushroom. But we want to do even a 
other varieties of mushroom with other varieties of coffee. This is the plan for now. We'll launch just one, but will be more. So you're going to be testing different types yes. of mushroom with different types yes. of coffee. Yeah, beans. we had a few <laughs> tests and meeting and yeah, it's, it's quite a good job because actually is <laughs> yeah, I like I had no knowledge about mushroom, but now uh, I have. I mean is it's quite good for me. <laughs> but whether you want your coffee with pomegranate and orange juice, with mushrooms or with almond milk, potato milk, pea milk, soy milk, cashew milk, rice milk, coconut milk, oat milk, hemp milk, cow's milk or no milk, the craft of the barista provides the essential expertise. In Coffee World, the coffee roastery in Milton, Jake Bosworth trains baristas and he talked about it on our 4th of November programme. So, uh, so I run courses taking people that have never made a coffee before up to sort of a barista standard. And the things I tell people are, look, to be a good barista, you just need to know how to adjust a grinder to give you a perfect espresso and how to steam two different types of milk. If you can do these things consistently, everything else, such as latte art and assembly, that all just comes, comes with it. OK, the... can I just stop you? When you say adjust the grinder, how do you know yeah. how much to adjust it by? You can change the amount of coffee it's given you and you can change the, the size of the grind of the actual coffee itself. Now, the amount of coffee you're using is referred to as your dose. The grind is just referred to as the grind. Grind size affects the, the overall intensity of, of the coffee, the flavor and the balance. Uh, if, it, if a coffee runs too quickly, so a set amount of water passes through the coffee at such a high speed, not enough flavor is gonna be brought out. So it's gonna be quite sour, quite weak, um, not a very nice espresso. If you have the other sort of extremity where it's taking too long, uh, it becomes very acidic, very bitter, almost syrupy in texture, which again, you, you don't want. So it's about balancing the correct dosage with the correct brine size to give you the, the best right. result at the end. Somebody once told me that the coffee should come out in between 19 and 31 seconds, which seemed to me to be like quite a big latitude, actually. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, they're not wrong. It just comes down to the coffee you're using. So obviously coffee can be roasted at different levels. You've got light, medium and dark. When it comes to actually then making the espresso, with a lighter roast, there's more natural oils to draw out and play with. So you have a longer window to extract these flavours from. As you go to a slightly darker roast, that window gets shorter and shorter. It literally can be a difference of seconds, but that can have a massive impact on your espresso. You're listening to Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. And today we are looking back at the food and drink in Cambridge over 2023. We'll continue shortly, but first, just time for a very quick news break. And the annual Cambridge Chocolate Festival takes place on the 10th and 11th of February. Here's chocolatier-in-chief Ria Falvo with the details. I'm very excited about the opening night. I'm bringing Mickey Mistrati in. He's an investigative journalist and documentary uh, filmmaker. And we're showing Chocolate War documentary and having a short Q&A following that. It's, a, it's following supply chain, so where we get our chocolate from. Um, and it's a movement to uh, stop child slavery, really, in chocolate making and chocolate farming. The actual chocolate festival itself will run over Saturday and Sunday, the 10th and 11th, from 10 to 4, both days, and featuring um, prominently chocolate makers, chocolatiers. We have a chocolate keto chef there as well. We have 16 confirmed stalls at the moment. They all, almost all of them are very willing and enthusiastic to share their chocolate. 
We have some workshops that we are still confirming. Uh, one will be a chocolate food photography just with your iPhone or maybe your DSLR as well. And yeah, and another chocolate tasting workshop as well. It takes place at the Cambridge Union Society in the debate chamber specifically and the uh, workshops and the film will be in the Keynes Library of the same building. There's also a logo competition and tickets for the festival are available from Eventbrite. Molino Handmade Pasta is now available on Fridays at Cambridge Market from 10 till 4, Saturdays at Meadows in Mill Road from 10 till 4 and Sundays at North Stowe Market from 10 till 2. And that's all the news we're bringing today. Our full news roundup will return next time. But now, back to 2023. Alongside the established restaurants, cafes and takeaways, new businesses are constantly starting up and 2023 was no different. Matt, you visited a Sri Lankan restaurant, didn't you? Yeah, it opened in Barnwell Road in September. It's called Coconut because that's a key ingredient of Sri Lankan food. And the lady who runs it worked for several years as a chef de partie at Selwyn College and they encouraged her to open her own place. So here she is with her husband just a few months into their new business. It's like homemade food, even though this is a restaurant. <laughs> I came to this country in 2015 as a chef de party, but I had a dream to start my own place. Sri Lankan food is like um, yes. rice and curry, rice right? And curry, yes. So different curries and adding different tastes and variations to the dish. We got lots of people who has not experienced curries before. Yes. That's the most interesting thing because sometimes people coming here, they never had Sri Lankan food. But now I had regular customers because they, they love Sri Lankan food. That's why I enjoy doing this. So we've heard that people saying, sorry, we are not interested in curries, but we invited them to try our food and then after a while, they really sort of understood the difference and they now keep coming every day sometimes and some That's families regular yes, customers. Regu they yes. have become regular customers and some say that they don't even cook at their homes now. Uh, yeah, so that's very interesting. It's a hard job because we need using fresh ingredients every day. We need to do lots of preparations and lots of cuttings, choppings. But I wanted to do that way. I don't want to do the easy way. Even cutting vegetables and keeping them for a while makes a difference. So if you cut aubergine today and cook today, its dish is very fresh and flavorful. If you do preparation yesterday, it's not the real flavor. I don't want to be a rich restaurant. No, I want to make people happy to bring everyone here. Everybody can afford my food. That's my motivation, yes. They begin their prep at 9.30 a.m., cooking all the way through to about 5.30 in the evening, which is when they open, before finishing around midnight. So they work really, really long days, but they do love it. And that is Coconut, the Sri Lankan restaurant and takeaway on Barnwell Road, taken from our programme on the 21st of October. In the centre of town, next to Cambridge Market, is the Guildhall, and there you'll find Orlean's Kitchen, run by mother and son team Orlean and Leon. It's their first cafe, and they opened it at the very beginning of last year. I'm not really a chef or anything. I've just grew up loving cooking, and, and that's really what I want to do, continue to bring new things yeah, to the table. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I've learned how to cook from my mum. 
you might have a musician that understands and knows how to read sheet music. And then you can have a musician that's just as good but plays by ear. And I feel as if we're play-by-ear kind of cooks, do you know what I mean? Constantly putting a little spice in here or trying that, okay, that didn't work, we'll leave that out. But the end result is something beautiful at the, at the end of it all. So, And I just think food and music just go hand in hand. And if you can create a space where those two things can exist and... Yeah, and like today, I've got codfish fritters, vegetable fritters, plantain, which a lot of people like, curry goat, rice and peas. And also your rasta pasta has been oh, going yeah, down quite well as well. It's like a creamy, them, yeah. jerky yeah. pasta, which Because I do this jerk sauce, yeah, so that's kicked off, yeah, and it's, yeah, that's going down quite well. I forgot about that. Yeah, no, 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 no. I've been really, really impressed. <laughs> it's given us a chance to get a little bit more creative as well with what we're doing, with the space that we've got, so it's, it's fun. I love my mum's curry goat and rice and peas, and I'm really encouraging her, especially while it's cold, to do like a curry goat shepherd's pie. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? Something that's traditionally sort of British, but bringing the, the, the Jamaican. I'm yet to try that. So, I'm yet yeah, to do so, it. So, so I'm just gonna, little things like that, yeah, really. I'm going to do and then we've got jerk wrap ideas that are going to be coming up on our specials menu as well. We have the set menu there, but each week we have our specials. Yeah. So like today we've got a soup called Gungu Peas Soup from Jamaica. And then other days we'll have like jerk chicken, oxtail, brown stew chicken and yeah. things like that. And then different wraps as well. Yeah, we'll be yeah, doing different yeah. wraps. Definitely yeah. want to incorporate the wraps that I was doing yeah. in our other kitchen. I think we've just about found our rhythm, so that, that'll be coming inside the Guildhall and a cafe and my mum's name on the wall. And, you know, it's, it's like a dream come true. And that was Orlean's Kitchen, so named because her son Leon began cooking for all his friends in his mum's kitchen. And one friend said, why don't you turn this into a business? So they did, and you can find their current menu online at orleanskitchen.com. Meanwhile, over in Burley Street is Hanami, a cafe whose walls are adorned with cherry blossoms. It's run by sisters Karen and Jenny. It's their first go at running a business, and when I went to meet them for the 7th of October programme, they've been busy modernising their menu. This used to be a restaurant owned by my mother, a Chinese restaurant and a French cafe. My mum has made a lot of long-lasting friends, most of them who have eaten at her cafe for literally 20 years. They still come even though we've changed, but they also enjoy what we offer now. I guess for her old customers, they've grown to more like a healthy lifestyle. Really appreciate they still trust us. And like the newer customers that we've gotten, which are mostly university students, I'd have to say, they just look for like a nice calm place to drink some tea, sometimes like new tea, like red tea that we offer from China. The Dianhong red tea, most people haven't heard of it. Dianhong red tea. It's a gourmet black tea with flavors of strawberry, peach, and mulberry. Or like the blossom tea, which is a bud of flowers that blooms as it gets warm in hot water. Yes. yes. Yeah, people love it because visual is the number one thing for food now. If it looks good, people are more likely to try it. At least people who are like 20 Enjoy years more the, as well, yeah. I think. So if you can smell it, you can see it, that would be much better. Instagram like, it. <laughs> yeah. So poke bowls are more like a sushi salad bowl. You pick your base. Most people pick rice. Mm. Do like a little stack, so rice at the bottom, and then you pick a bunch of vegetables to go over the rice. 
You pick protein and more popularly, it's raw fish because it's a sushi based dish. Mm -hmm. But we do cooked versions of like cooked fish or vegetarian options, vegan options as well, like tofu or like omelets. We can do it sweet or salty style. And then you put sauce on it. So almost like a, the dressing for your salad and then some crispy toppings to give it a crunch. Mm. Now this next one is a little bit nuts. That's because it's a new Turkish cafe on Mill Road called Botany Foodie, where you will find large tubs of various nuts and flavours of Turkish delight. Honey and cinnamon, caramelised roasted cashews and pecans. That has been really, really popular. So we got <laughs> honey and cinnamon. <laughs> Yummy nuts. <laughs> Yummy hot chocolate. We got almond, we got cashew, and what was the other one? Pecan. Pecan, yeah. It's, they've just been so popular. Hi, I am Omar. Hi, I'm Zara. We are the owner of, of the Botany Foodie on Mill Road. And please come visit, taste, more than welcome. <laughs> I tried some of the flavoured coated peanuts, which are great cold, but when they're toasted warm, they're really lovely. We don't want them to leave with the question mark because when you taste, you, you will decide by it or not. Pistachios, because the pistachios are from his own town. My hometown. Yeah. And the pistachio trees grow top of the mountains, really, and then all the time sunshine. That's why even the color and the taste is so different than any other pistachios, and it's very unique. Yeah, people are not having this one. They said, oh, I'm not fan of pistachio. And then suddenly ended up like one kilo eating non-stop because it's very addictive, you know? When I popped in here last week, mm -hmm. you gave me a slice of lemon Turkish delight. Yes. And that made me realize that I've never tried authentic Turkish delight before. It's always yeah. been some kind of synthetic British manufacture. Yeah. And it was so delicate. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this lemon Turkish like made with real lemons. I yes. was expecting something either sharp or bitter, but it was, again... I think it's just the right level, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's the same thing with the, like, you know, we've got different flavors, such as banana, orange, rose, even plain. Yeah, please keep carry on. What did you feel like, you know, <laughs> after the, the lemon, which is like... What would you like to eat best? Turkish delight. It shall be. Delicious. Mm, good. That was Botany Foodie on Mill Road. Um, I would like to point out that even though they are Turkish, they're Turkish with a little T, because you can find plenty of traditional British cafe fare there as well, and I'm sure they would like me to point that out. And, um, well, getting back to it, I do especially love their banana Turkish delight, and all the nuts as well. Coming up on flavour, some Cambridge food writers, beer, wine and food history. That's in a couple of minutes after the break, so don't go away. Cambridge 105 Radio. New Music Generator is the programme where we champion the local music scene. On Wednesdays and Saturdays, Tim Willett and Rebecca May have the latest releases, studio interviews and live sessions. The message came through saying, oh, we've listened to your track. And I was like, oh, I've had that before, it's fine, it's nothing. <laughs> and then I got a DM from Rebecca on Insta, and I was like, oh, OK, that's like, that's it's going to get played. New Music Generator, online at cambridge105.co.uk, Wednesdays at 7 and Saturdays at 4, on Cambridge 105 Radio. 
CKLG accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Cambridge has one of the highest proportions of startups and early stage businesses in the UK. If you have an idea for a new business and are ready to get started, we can help you tackle the accounting, tax and financial challenges you will encounter. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk. CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your partner in life. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour with our look back at food and drink in and around Cambridge in 2023. Our food and drink in and around Cambridge isn't just about eating and drinking. There's plenty to read, too, without some outstanding food writers in our midst. Our 21st of October edition had B. Wilson talking about her new book, The Secret of Cooking, a book that has had countless recommendations as one of the top food books of 2023. Your cookbook is amazingly sort of generous and kind. It says, you know, don't stress... This is what you could think of doing, but you don't have to do it like this. Take a theme, take an idea, and then this is how you can develop it, really. Yeah, that was my hope. And I, it's, it's very hard to know how to pitch it because I'm aware that some of the people reading it will be extremely confident cooks who know how to do all of this stuff who might be thinking you're patronising me by telling me here is how to teach yourself how to cook with a carrot which is what one of the chapters is where I'm trying to say if you think you don't have good knife skills just practice with a carrot because then it's such a cheap accessible ingredient if it goes a bit wrong it doesn't feel like as much as a disaster as if you're experimenting for a kind of high stakes dinner party and you've bought really expensive ingredients Yeah, I'm trying to say there's always another way of doing something. So pick the way that suits you. And what's been lovely since the book has come out is getting emails from readers and friends and response on social media of even people who have been really brilliant cooks saying, I'd actually lost my mojo a bit and I've read your book and it's persuaded me back in the kitchen. And that is exactly the result that I would like. No, that's lovely because often cooking is a daily, it, sh- it shouldn't be a daily chore, but sometimes it feels like it. It should be a daily inspiration. What are your feelings about the chore side of cookery? I mean, my things, I, I say in the introduction to the book that I think at its best, cooking is a game that you play with all your senses, a game where no one loses. And it's an utter delight. But that is imagining that you're cooking under ideal circumstances where maybe there could be a lovely helper handing you prepped ingredients like we see those people on Saturday morning TV with their lovely glass bowls filled with kind of ready minced garlic and ready chopped chives. And if you were there in this idealised kitchen and you weren't trying to feed children, let's say, who are picky eaters or friends or yourself who might have food intolerances or allergies of one kind or another. If you just had all of the ingredients in the world and ideal conditions and all of the time, cooking's a delight. It's fabulous. And it can still be like that is what I'm trying to say. But it totally can be a chore. And it's not so much that cooking's a chore, but that it's got to somehow find its way among all of the other jigsaw puzzle of things that we have to fit in our lives from caring for relatives to just getting through our own workday. Tim Hayward had a highly informative, interesting and amusing book about how to get the best from your big green egg. And he spoke about it for our programme from the 11th of March. 
but you can set it to pretty much any temperature you want to, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll be very consistent in running that. So it's great for long, slow cooking. It's great for roasting and, and uh, sort of gentle cookery. And you can also get ferocious heat out of it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a funny bit of kit, but it's, but it's good fun. But, but in your book, I th- now what was it that I saw? Uh, was it a pineapple t- uh, tata? Oh, yes. It was a tata of some description. <laughs> I mean, you don't expect to open up the lid of a conventional barbecue and find a, something like that inside. <laughs> no, but, but, the, but that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, I think with any form of, of cooking equipment, if you're a proper geek, and I really am, <laughs> I think, you know, you, you look at it and you go, oh, that gets hot down there. And, oh, I love that gentle heat coming in from there. And the tatan, which is a classic sort of upside-down tart, you think about it, you know, you go, oh, I've got an earthenware pot I can do that in. The bottom will get hot enough to caramelise the sugar. What will be great in there? And then, I, you know, there, there happened to be some pineapples around that, that, that week. Sliced pineapples into, into the syrup and then just put some dough down at the top of it, some... some uh, I basically use some puff pastry I'd nick from Fitzbillies, tuck it in around the sides, and you know that the bottom is going to sear through beautifully, and the top will cook gently under this dome, and it's a lovely thing. And you flip it out and put some rum-flavoured cream and a bit of grated lime zest on top, and everybody goes, wow, that's incredible, and it is incredible. It's lovely. Dead easy. (laughs) Away from Cambridge, but of great interest to Cambridge foodies as well as those everywhere else, Sue spoke to Nikki Segnit about her new book, The Flavour Thesaurus, More Flavours, and this was broadcast on the 20th of May. Well, I'd like to say that it was a really seriously considered moment, but in fact, I'm just actually sitting in a pub with my husband. I've just taken a big sip of a pint of Guinness because we'd finished our tax returns. And uh, he was at the bar ordering our food. And I don't know why, Sue, but it just hit me that I wanted to write about all these different things, all these different flavours that I haven't ever, you know, never worked on. I mean, I suppose over the years, there have been a number of people coming up to me at events uh, or getting in touch with me and saying, I wish you'd written about this flavour, I wish you'd written about lentils, I wish you'd written about courgettes. And so I suppose there was a kind of stockpile of things that there was a desire for. But I think, it, you know, more than anything, it just came from within. It has to be because you're going to be spending a long time researching a book like this. And I was suddenly gripped by um, just wanting to know more about all these different ingredients. So, in fact, how long did it take you to do the research? It took four years with this one. It took three with the original, although I think the original is working sort of 6am to 9pm, uh, whereas this book, there was uh, quite a few COVID, so I was teaching my kids to read and do fractions and things, so, you know, uh, four years interrupted. Your the, your original book had sort of sections with some meaty, cheesy, earthy, mustardy and so on. Obviously, you don't have meaty in this one because it's predominantly, or is it completely, um, vegetable and fruit-based flavours? I mean, it says plant-led, which means that, I mean, it did start off because the only ingredient that I wanted to write about that wasn't a plant was duck. So I thought that would be a bit weird to have duck plus loads of other. Okay, well, let's make this. You know, it's a good thing. I I really like um, my my veggies and my fruits. I'll, I'll make it a vegan book. And I started on that, and that just didn't work. It didn't work for the kind of format of the book. It takes too much time to kind of explain the intricacies of some vegan substitutes and techniques. 
So I thought, well, um, let's see what happens if I just add a few things back in. So I added cheese, which was in the last book, and eggs, which was in the last book. And then also I added honey, which was just one of the nicest chats to add that. And then also um, yogurt, which I absolutely love, so quite happy to write about that. Also helping us to decide what to cook in 2023, we had various suggestions from fishmonger Ben Roberts about how to cook fish, and from local legend Rosie Sykes too. And here's Rosie from the 2nd of December with some ideas for squash. Roast squash is really delicious. And when I roast it, I usually roast it with, say, uh, a red onion cut up into little um, kind of what I call petals. So it's when you halve it and then cut each half into little segments and they kind of break apart. And then what I do with that as well is I finely dice some lemon, usually a lemon that I've already squeezed for something else. I finely, finely dice it like confetti and mix all that up with olive oil, maybe some sage and um, salt and pepper. Not really good olive oil, like sort of light olive oil. Roast that for, um, depending what type of squash it is, because some of them soften really quickly, probably half an hour or so at about 180. And then you've got this delicious roast squash which you can use for so many things and with the little pops of lemon they kind of turn into sherbet and it's it's really lovely just like that we to have with say I don't know a pork chop or something or with some other vegetables as a supper or you could put it through pasta or rice it's just a really nice thing um and also I find that doing squash in the oven baking it often means if it's one of the ones with harder skin, cut it into quite big pieces and bake it. Then you can just skim it off the skin and use it in many ways. So one of the things I love making is a brandard of squash. I've sort of made that name up, I think. But, you know, brandard of salt cob brandard is a kind of smooth, rich puree. So I do a similar thing with squash where I might put some truffle oil in or um, creamy herb cheese and quite a lot of butter or cream and just puree it until it's really smooth and you you don't want anything too sloppy but then it's really nice just to eat with toast as a sort of little canapé. And for the hunter-gatherers among us, Sue Bailey got many suggestions over the seasons from foraging chef Steve Thompson. Here's an excerpt from Steve's foraging on the 11th of February. Yeah, so all of our spring herbs are really starting to come through now. So another cracker at this time of year is uh, Alexander's. They're really starting to get, they're starting to bush out now. So you can get a really good yield off them, but they're still nice, supple, really soft. We tend to, at this stage, we can just fry them off in butter, a bit of chilli and garlic, things like that. And it's a really nice little vegetable. Chuck them in omelettes and things like that for nice, easy home use. We also preserve them in oils, ferment them down. Once they start to get a little bit kind of taller, the plants, the leaves get a little bit more leathery almost. And then that's when we start to dry them out and use them as a pot herb. And any other ones? Yeah. So another one that we all know at the moment is uh, sticky weed. Of course. Or cleavers or galliamaparine is its name. And that's really starting to come out now. And at this stage, it's kind of like it's pea stage. 
So oh, almost really, like a pea shoot. Yeah, when they're really small like that, then the uh, hooks on them haven't developed enough yet to mean that you need to cook them or anything like that. So they're a really nice little fresh pea snack when you're just walking through the woods and stuff like that. And they're pretty easy to identify, I think. I think we all know what they are. from. Yeah, so little things like that, like chickweeds, hairy bittercress, which is a lovely little mustardy plant. Just getting out and having a look at all those, really. They're starting to grow in a lot, especially as we haven't done the weeding in our gardens, say, for instance, over winter great time to just go out and have a look at the weeds in your garden. You know, we've focused on food mainly so far, but uh, Cambridge is also an excellent place for wines and beers. In 2023, Amphora, Cambridge Wine Merchants and Great Britannia were all winners of prestigious awards from Decanter magazine. Thorn Wines hosted some unforgettable wine evenings at venues like Fancits and Mercado Central with food to match, but you had to be alert because tickets just went extraordinarily quickly. And Great Britannia moved to new premises as well. It's now in Chesterton Road at Staples Corner, where on the 2nd of December, owner Matt Hodgson talked about what was on offer. So we have well over 200 English and Welsh wines now. So we've got the largest range of that of anywhere in the country. And this new shop has given us the opportunity to showcase even more. You're also doing some food, I gather, as well as wines. Now we've got this bigger space, we are able to really sort of increase our bar offering. So we've got more wines by the glass. We have a bigger range of beers. But yes, absolutely, we've now started doing food platters. So you can get cheese platters, charcuterie, pâtés in seafood so we're really proud that all of our food is also sourced from the UK like our wines so for example all the cheese is from just down the road from the Cambridge Cheese Company. How would you describe yourself best? We're all about being English and Welsh wine specialists Um, you know that's what our sole focus in and that's what we've won all our awards for so yep we are very proud and also humbled to have won awards for all of the last four years variously from decanter and the international wine challenge for being the specialist top specialist retailer in that category which is fabulous for us cambridge's beer festival which began in 1974 started up again in 2023 after a few years gap due to covid and another beer festival took place last year in what has been christened the beer quarter by seven local pubs We covered it on the 1st of July, discovering that with 250 real ales, ciders and craft beers, there's room in this town for more than one beer festival. It was an opportunity to get this community around Petersfield area, which is such a great community with some really fantastic pubs. And I think the beer festival, which is encompassing food and music and there's quiz nights and the likes, is just a really good positive aspect for the pubs and for the community. One bourbon, one scotch, and one bill. The Beer Quarter Beer Festival, which this is the third one. So it's us, the other six pubs. So we've got Cambridge Blue, Cambridge Blue. the Cambridge Blue, the Blue Moon, Blue Moon. the Geldhart, the, Geldart, the, Geldart, the Alex, the Alex, Alex, Calverley's, Calverley's Brewery, Calverley's, and I'm missing one. The Petersfield. Can I just say the six other pubs? <laughs> And this one where we're recording now... The Kingston? The Kingston. The Kingston Arms. Yeah, Cambridge needed a beer festival. We hadn't had one for three years. And the seven pubs came together at a time of lockdowns and no beer festivals to try to promote the pubs for the vital role they do play in the community. 
Alongside that, there's a charitable aspect in every pub. Every pub has a different charity. At Calverley's, we're going to be supporting the uh, Dyspraxia Foundation. At the Geldart, we are raising money for the Arthur Rank Hospice. We here at the Kingston, it's the Alzheimer's. From the Blue Moon on Norfolk Street, our charity is the Kite Trust, which is just on Gwider Street, that works with young LGBT people and their families. Each pub can offer something different, especially food-wise. You've got Gorilla and Lamb at the Blue, you've got Oscar's Pizzas at the Blue Moon. Raf at the Alex, his, yeah, his, his burgers are supposed to be absolutely... Yeah. <laughs> mm, burger. We sort of do gastro pub grub, and then you've got Hot Rocks at Geldhart with Elvis. Like Elvis at the Geldhart? I know my dad would love that, like with the musical instruments. Kingston doesn't do food, but they get Scott's pizzas in. Because in the current climate, it's extremely difficult, but we have a really positive relationship with Scott's all day on the corner of Kingston Street and Mill Road, as do Calverley's Brewery, where they deliver here. So it's quite a big variety in a small area, so we don't compete with each other. It's a sort of, we can work together. Let's get some beer in you, and then it's right to bed. Woohoo! Beer, 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 bed, bed, bed! So we didn't really talk about beer in that clip, but uh, the reason I love making that feature was the sense of community. Everyone knows everyone in those pubs, and they work together to organise brewers, music, open nights, and, of course, sourcing good local food. They are a community. And we are a community radio station. Well, we've talked about food and drink in Cambridge's restaurants, the chefs and their expertise and how they're chosen, restaurant and wine merchants awards, Cambridge writers' food books, coffees, local beer festivals, but there is more. There's the academic side of food in Cambridge, the research that's done by academics and the science, literary and other festivals that feature them. And one issue that came to the fore in 2023 was food security. With food prices rising steeply for reasons such as the war in Ukraine and climate change affecting food production in Europe. Sue Bailey spoke to food historian Dr Emlyn Rood about the rather odd way in which we sometimes use our food. Sardines, in this case. I've been a vegetarian my whole life and the fact that people eat chicken is very strange to me. Like imagine your least favorite food and then imagine it at every single meal and how much you have to avoid it. Fair enough. That was my childhood. We're making jokes about how it tasted like nothing and it was just absolutely everywhere and I didn't understand it. So as an undergrad, um, I had to write a thesis and I decided to write my thesis exploring the weird phenomenon that is chicken eating and the fact that it's so ubiquitous today. And from the chickens, I just got, I learned about the big massive sardine collapse in California in the 1940s. I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of Cannery Row, the Steinbeck novel, which is about this area of Monterey, California that used to be a big sardine canning capital. Basically, post-World War II, they fished all the sardines into oblivion. And it was these sardines that primarily went into chicken feed. Yeah, so most fish stocks today are driven by a demand for animal food. It's um, crazy, yeah. rather than for human food. Yeah, well. so there's a big debate over whether it's more efficient to eat these fish directly or if it's more efficient to feed them to animals. Obviously, I'm not an expert on that. I do know from my own historical research, just because a fish is edible doesn't mean people will eat it. That was the issue with sardine. The market was just not there for human food. As a result, there was a huge market, though, for animal feed. Research basically showed that if you feed single-chambered stomach animals, so basically pigs and chickens, fish, they just have the tiniest of tiny margins of increased growth. They're still not sure why, but it does. But when you're in an intensive livestock operation where those tiny margins really matter, 
fine. So I think true change in the food system cannot be this consumer-driven one because that is the one that gets shoved down people's throats. If only people knew how to cook seasonally, if only people bought heirloom tomatoes, when the real issue is entrenched corporate power, government policy, and all of this, whether it was established for good or bad reasons, is legacies, again, of the history of the food system. So I think I think a lot of the discourse points to, I guess it's a very neoliberal, consumers will save the day by just choosing to consume the right things, but I think that is deeply flawed and yes. will not actually do anything because it's not really... Yeah, consumers don't have the power because, as <laughs> yeah. you say, the corporations are too powerful. Yeah, or it's not, even, it's not even just pure corporations are too powerful, it's just consumers don't really... The food system is so dispersed that even if people, you know, bought more squash, it wouldn't really impact how the structures of food production is actually made. Like people, again, talk about all like veganism, vegetarianism on the rise. Meat production hasn't gone down. Meat production has increased at the same time. No, and um, also vegan and vegetarian food can be ultra processed in the same way. So, so I think, I mean, I think it has to be more of a structural government thing, but I'm not an expert. Hopefully Tim Lang and other people on the panel will have more to speak on yeah. what the actual solutions are. Thank you so much. Harjun Chang was a lecturer in economics at Cambridge University until a couple of years ago. Uh, He's now at the School of Oriental and African Studies, part of the University of London. And he returned to Cambridge in 2023 to talk about his current book, Edible Economics, in conversation with Professor Martin Jones. And Sue spoke to Martin about Harjun's book. If I can just highlight what's interesting about his ideas is, is if we go back to that model of the family sharing food... Okay, so there are numbers in there, there's calories and quantities and so forth. But the whole thing is driven by relationships between people, how how a community, be it a family or a large community, agree to work together, whether they want someone to take the lead, whether there's someone at the head of the table. And Hajun takes that forward to beyond the family, to the community and the state and, and looks at economics and the role of policies, the roles of collective action in the state. And and he emphasises that if you look at the history of economics, you can see all these dynamics. You can see the power of policy, the power of collective action, and the power of of planning ahead for the future. And so he's making an argument that economics is a lot more like the family Mm. feeding itself and that the numbers game is a, a very valuable tool, but it's just a tool in the larger field of economics, which is household management. And finally, in this section, Professor Martin Jones. He's got some pretty interesting research and ideas of his own to talk about, such as finding evidence of what people ate prehistory. Well, my specialism started with looking at burnt grains of wheat and barley. And so I spent a lot of uh, time early in my career with something no more high-tech than a dustbin and a hosepipe. And, and essentially, if you, if you go on an archaeological dig and you take some of that sediment out of the ground, stick it in a hosepipe with water, all the, all the burnt grains float to the top. And it's surprising how many they are. And so I spent a lot of my early career with a dustbin and a hosepipe and a lot of dirt. And... and, and uh, and then looking at it under the microscope, and it's astonishing what you can find. You can, well, it's, it's a lot of food remains, and under the microscope, even though it's burnt, you can identify a lot of it. So I, I started off talking about how food was 
was farmed, how it, and, and how it was put together and so forth. And as my career developed, a whole series of other techniques came online. So genetics has affected everything. So later on in my career, in my team were two, two full-time genetics, looking at the genetics of wheat, barley and millet and reproducing that. But the other thing that's happened is we can find out in, in these, what looks like an, an ordinary pot, we can find out what was cooked in it. So, so we can, now we can go through the whole, uh, whole sequence from the genetics of the plants and the animals on which we um, rely to building together their farming systems or their food acquisition systems, right through now to how they combined it in the meal. And Professor Martin Jones takes us to the end of the programme for today. And don't forget, all of those excerpts that you've heard today can be heard in full on the relevant podcast, because we are here discovering what's new and good in the local food scene on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. So our podcast is available from all the usual podcast catching places. And coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is Gadget Guide. But that's all from us for today and we'll be back on the 27th of January with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, many thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.